Welcome to our new podcast series, Ear to the Ground, where Tribe's culture change experts share their thoughts and observations on the big topics of the day. Well, it's a misty December afternoon and four of our consultancy team members are huddled around our virtual Christmas tree. I'm about to drop in on a conversation between Tribe's managing director, Mark Ormond, and lead consultants, Ella Nilakanthi Ford, Steve Bezik, and Colin Hewson. They're discussing the impact that the COVID crisis is having on health, safety and well-being culture. So, uh, Kanti, if we can go to, uh, to you first, I know you've been on quite a few of our, uh, our webinars and um, sessions already, so I know you're, you're burning to answer this question. What, what do you see as the major differences for the organisations you work with between the first peak, if you can call it that, and this most recent one? Well, very much the first peak was very reactive. Organisations were trying to stay in business, keep moving, trying to react to managing their workforce. Whereas now they're very much more treating things as business as usual. So they're planning for a longer term um, um, activities based around um, the pandemic. Sure. Okay. So, so I, I've seen that certainly in the organisations I'm working with as well. It was almost like business, for some organisations, came to a full stop, and that was an interesting challenge, wasn't it? And then for other organisations, whilst the world around them was going for a full stop, they had to keep keep the operation going. So it was an, it was an interesting range of, of of challenges. Steve, what, what's your view on this? What have you seen in well, the organisation? Not, I haven't really noticed any difference between the peaks. Really, it's more a question of response to the initial. Um, peak. Um, Certainly working with a large uh, housing association at the moment and what you can say is the COVID uh, pandemic has upped the priority of safety in every area basically. Suddenly everyone's interested in safety and particularly actually office workers. Office workers um, are suddenly a lot more aware of not just COVID arrangements but also conventional safety arrangements as well. Um, and also on top of that, of course, home working, yeah. which means that uh, display screen um, arrangements and so on and so forth suddenly have a much higher profile than they would have done had people stayed in the offices. So it's basically raised the game across the board, I would say. Was that was that with this particular organisation done from the perspective of the organisation? So do you think the organisation recognised that that was going to be an issue and and started to work out how they were going to sort it quite early on? Or, or, or was this a more of a kind of power of the people type situation where suddenly because the organisation was reacting, those office workers that perhaps hadn't really thought about health and safety before were suddenly pushing the organisation to think about it differently? I think a combination of the two, Mark. I think it really depended what, what, what area you worked in. It's like, it comes down to leadership again at the end of the day. Um, it depended on the leader as to how proactive they were. Uh, some people had to push for stuff, um, equipment particularly, obviously working from home. Um, and other, other people found that the, the, their individual leader was furnishing the, with the right gear. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Do you, do you think there has been a danger, and I, I, I don't know the answer to this, this isn't coming up, come up with the organisations I've been working in, but it was, it was an interesting thought when I was talking to somebody the other day that has there been a danger that we've deprioritised some of the risks in the operation? So traditionally, as you say, you know, we've, we've had a real focus on those risks in the operation. It's been tough to, to engage the, the office population, if you want to call it that, in health and safety. This has clearly shone a light on some issues now. We've got people at home, and this, and for many organisations, as you've outlined, they've had to focus on it. Do you think that has caused the shift away from that from that field force population, and and has that increased the risk, or have, have you not seen that? Uh, interesting observation. Um, I don't think safety in the field has suffered as a result of focus on what is going on back at HQ. Um, I, I don't think it's detracted from it. It wasn't either or. Right, it's just okay. a question of raising the, the office profile, I think. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say that, um, Steve, that it was actually more focus on well-being. Um, I'm hearing Good point. my clients talk about mm. well-being as far as um, what yes. uh, the office yes. staff, rather yeah. than 
safety, health and well-being. Um, and that's kind of, you know, in the past, we've always experienced um, office staff tend to equate safety with security, for instance. And now I'm finding that they're equating sa safety with well-being. So um, maybe the focus on health, safety and well-being hasn't been equally spread as, as we go forward. But there certainly is an awareness. There's much more of an awareness. I, I'm finding that as well. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Camfield. I'll come to you in a second, Colin, to get your view. But just just to just to build on that point about well-being, you made. Um, I was talking to to one organisation about this and asking them about the about the well-being um, uh, piece in relation to the field force, and 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 I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it in a minute. There's been lots of conversation about well-being for the office population, because if you're sending people home, it's going to be an obvious concern for both the business and, and them. And, and as we've been doing this recent piece of research, it's probably no surprise to hear that a lot of the conversation has been about burnout and, and how do we how do we keep dealing with this, this pressure that, that COVID has put on us and I know Colin you, you you've, you've a point to make about this as well but what was interesting is for all the people we've talked to a lot of them have become more home-based and therefore well-being is one of the first things that they've been talking about um, and perhaps more within that population and less within the field force because the field force haven't experienced things in, in quite the same way and I, I wonder whether this has made made the the um, the home working piece because there's been more focus on it. There's been less focus on well being out in that in that field force uh, population. Is that is that a jump? Is that too much of an assumption from me, or have, have you seen the same, Canthy, when you make that comment? And Colin, I'll, I'll get your view on that as well, please, if you can. Um, I believe so. Um, um, there's been a, a sort of disassociation of, between the field force. So the field force. Um, I'm generalising, but the field force with a lot of the companies I've been working with, which have been very much um, active during um, the pandemic because they're delivering um, utility services, etc. Um, they, the field force are um, just getting on and doing their job, but they're feeling even more isolated than they did before. So you've got a lot of people who are lone working, who are having less um, interaction with their organisations. and. Um, feeling quite disassociated overall. Yeah. I think, Mark, I, I would agree with um, Canthy's summary there that with the organisations I've been working with, um, I would agree that the wellbeing has been very much focused on uh, colleagues that have been office-based and are now home-based and making sure that contact is maintained with those people through phone calls and Teams meetings and Zoom meetings, etc. But the field force who are out there doing the day job um, do feel slightly more disconnected from the organisation. They're not seeing their leaders, their managers and their supervisors out there with them as often as they were in the past. Yeah. Uh, and that is causing some, um, I don't know whether frustration is too, 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 too strong a word, but there's certainly that disconnect there that uh, Canthy outlined. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Colin. I, mean, I certainly have heard that similar comments from um, from the organisations I'm working with. It was an interesting because trust was a feature of the early research and it was one of the, the leaps we made, or certainly I made before I did the first research, that there was the potential for this to drive a wedge between those two populations. Interesting, some organisations from day one, it felt like there was a wedge being driven. Other organisations, it felt like something for them to all... Um, you know, jump around or pull together with and, and actually going back and revisiting some of those organisations. I think where they saw it as something to pull together with, it's only got better over the last few months, actually, despite the despite the potential disconnect, there's, there's almost a stronger trust there. And then revisiting some of the organisations that had challenges, then unsurprisingly, it's perhaps got um, got worse for them and, and, and harder and harder to manage as that disconnect widened. Um, in general terms, though, Colin, just to build on your point, do you think organisations are winning? I mean, there's a lot of focus initially on well-being. Have we have we learned? Are we getting better? Is that getting easier for organisations to manage, or do you think it's got harder as as, as this thing's gone on longer? I actually think it's probably getting harder. The, the, the people that I've come across in the organisations that I'm working with 
had a very positive response to their organization's initial response uh, in the first wave. Yeah. And I think we mentioned earlier on that, that this is kind of now becoming work as normal. Uh, and I'm not I'm not sure that home working is uh, work as normal. We've got lots of people out there who are working at uh, kitchen tables, sat on beds with laptops, <clears throat> that kind of thing, and getting just a little bit um, concerned about um, how their organisations are or aren't connecting with them. Um, and I would agree with Steve that um, a lot of it is to do with who is your leader within that particular organisation. Some people feel empowered to go out and buy a desk or a, or a suitable chair or a footrest, whatever it might be. Uh, whereas others feel, um, I don't quite know what to do here, so I'll just continue to sit on the edge of the bed with my laptop, which of course has a big impact on well-being, mm. how people yeah. feel about not just their work, but their life in general. Yeah. So I think the, the, there's that kind of concern. And then within certain sectors within our society, I think another concern for me would be around burnout. When we get through this, um, as has recently been, been indicated into sort of the spring and summer of next year, and there's sort of a big sigh of relief, I think there will be some kickback in terms of um, stress-related issues all around the well-being topic. Possibly, you know, making a big uh, assumption here, but if you look at the health service, post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, some people have seen some pretty horrendous things through this, this last 10, 12 months that we've just been through. So I think well-being is a major area of, uh, of, of focus that organisations should be looking at. Yeah, which I, which I, th I think, to be fair to most organisations, they they probably are. I, I guess the question is, and we'll we'll come back to this later in the uh, in in the podcast. Is is what does that mean for organisations, and what does twenty twenty one look like in relation to that? Knowing that that this is an issue, knowing it's a challenge that many people recognise, is it a question of 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 waiting for the for the knight in shining armour, the vaccine coming down the the line, and we'll deal with it then, or is there something more proactive? We we can be doing but but we'll hold that thought and, and, and come back to it in a minute i, I want to pick up on your sorry go on I just make one point there mark otherwise i will i will forget it <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is one concern that i've got around around the whole well-being uh, topic is our organizations addressing well-being by looking upwards and outwards mm. and forgetting that the real issue is to, is to look downwards and inwards to the people that work in their organization. So lots of positive stuff is being said, but what's the impact on yeah. the front line, on the ground? Um, and that's just a concern for me. Yeah, okay, all right, well, we'll, we'll come back to that. I, I want to pick up on a point you made and, mm -hmm. and get Steve to, uh, to, to comment on it, because it, it related to something that Steve said, and that's the, that's the leadership um, piece. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because whenever we've talked about health and safety culture over the years, and most people who are in this space will recognise... I'm not sure I understand. My watch is talking to me. I'm not sure I understand that. Let me rephrase the question then. Um, so so leadership is clearly uh, has, a, has a significant impact on culture. Um, and so the pressure has been put on leaders in organisations, certainly over this period, to make the right decisions, to make the right decisions at, at speed, when it, whether it comes to health and safety more generally, COVID, well-being, and, and certainly some of the feedback we've had specifically around burnout actually is the pressure that those leaders have felt, many of whom, of course, haven't been furloughed. They've had to work through this, this entire time period and keep the organisation energised, whether that's through commercial difficulties, whether that's tried to keep the teams engaged around well-being or, or just having to make really tough decisions relentlessly, it's felt for many people. Um, what, what have you been seeing in relation to those leaders in, in your organisation and, and any thoughts about the, the, the long-term impact for them and perhaps the things that organisations should be thinking about in relation to leaders now? Um, Steve, have you got any thoughts on this one? Uh, communication, I would say. Um, you know, the, one of the interesting things about the Housing Association is they have a lot of um, peripatetic workers. Yeah. You know, work on their own, work in pairs, in vans. They're not used to having a fantastic amount of face-to-face -face contact with their managers anyway. Yeah. Um, whereas in the office, 
it's almost a daily face-to-face -face event. And I think that, you know, particularly at HQ, the people are going to have to think a lot harder about how often they contact their troops, um, how they contact their troops, um, rather than perhaps, as I say, people who are more used to traveling the country in vans from one residence property to property to another, and maybe not seeing their, their manager on a very frequent basis at all. In fact, they get their work uh, schedules through their iPad. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everything that they do, even contact with their, their manager in these circumstances, and previously probably came through that instrument. Uh, so it's not a fan fabulous change for them. Um, whereas in the office, I think it's quite a marked change in terms of leaders imprinting their wants and desires on their on their workforce. If I could just pick up on the point you made, made Mark, of course, leaders are fundamental to the, to the success of, of the organisation and, and particularly the, the top person in the organisation. And, you know, it, it might be a simple thing to say, but if they're not looking after themselves, how can they look after other people? And I think it's an interesting point that you raised there. Uh, what about the leaders? They're, they're pulling out all of the stops to keep the business going, to look after the troops, but they've also got to look after themselves. And um, I just wonder if, if, you know, those high level leaders are in a position to do that at the moment, which again leads us back into, because of the pressures and the stresses of keeping the business going, the potential for burnout. That was a striking point, actually, Colin, with the assessments that we've been doing recently. Uh, people are doing back to back meet Zoom meetings all day and doing their real job in the evening. Um, and there was a lot of kickback about long hours and particularly the poor example set by senior leaders regarding the hours that they're prepared to work to keep the business going and all the things you describe mm -hmm. in these circumstances. So, you know, and, and that way of got that path, of course, leads to, uh, you know, mental illness at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, I think I, I do think it's going to create some long-term issues. Um, I heard an expression not so long ago, Mark, which was talking about this um, what the workforce are becoming um, disaffected, disengaged, and therefore discontented, because there's this whole split between the workforce and lead, you know, people are doing their own thing. They're all working in silos, doing the best that they can in the circumstances they've been given. And they've forgotten the impact that they have on others by their example. So leading by example, especially if you're working from home, has given has has taken away, has disempowered leaders in many ways uh, for the impact that they're having on people. Yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult challenge for, for for leaders at the moment, and I'm not I'm not um, not downplaying the challenge for for for, for any groups in any organisations because the whole the whole situation has been significant, certainly from a health, safety, and well-being perspective. But you know, one of the one of the key foundational principles that we know is important when you're trying to drive a change in culture or trying to move culture forward is to to make sure there's a shared connection in the business and a shared vision. And if we can corral people around that, we we get engagement and energy towards doing that. Um, and actually, apart from all the negative effects in the early parts of COVID, one of the positive effects is suddenly you've got something that you're all corralling around. It enabled organisations to make quick decisions. We can bring the organisation with us, a shared platform for communication, you know, well-being, something everybody talked about. So actually, as hard as it was, this shared vision of surviving COVID, if you want to call it that, was a, was a real energizer for the organization and something leaders could stand behind. Once you got through the first part of, of, of COVID, if you want to call it that, the first few months and organizations have survived, we're still here, we're still doing work. Where's the shared vision then? What does it look like moving forward? It's it's really hard to see what that looks like. So So now it's a struggle for managers even when they're communicating, what do we talk about now? We used to have a, a, a thing to talk about and, and now nobody wants to talk about this anymore. We know well-being is an issue, but we don't have any solutions anymore because we've tried all of this stuff out. So certainly as a leader, how, how do you keep that something going when that something isn't, isn't quite as clear anymore? I, I, I see that as a, 
as, as a real challenge. Any 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 views on that around the shared vision and, and how organisations start to maybe take some of the lessons from that early part and, and think about what the agenda needs to be moving forward? I've heard, um, Mark, I've heard of several um, leaders talk about how surprised they were with the level of engagement they had in, in the first wave. Yeah. Um, because, because they were um, having to have daily calls um, with their senior teams. They had far more engagement with the workforce than they had in the past. Um, they've started to talk more about well-being um, and health um, and safety, the health of their workforce. So they, they, in the first wave, they felt they were surprised at the amount of engagement that they had with the workforce. Yeah. But as um, Colin and Steve were saying, they've got also got very um, tired uh, they've forgotten that momentum, that energy is worn off. Things are getting busier in different ways. They're planning for 2021 and um, and beyond. And therefore that momentum has dropped off. So certainly <laughs> reinvigorating that sort of energy would be a fantastic way to go. Yeah. It feels like there's a real lesson there to build on that positivity in the first wave and to create something else that we all... Uh, collect around if you like and we create some engagement around any ideas for what that might be in organizations what what could they be looking towards to try and re-energize the, the, the people that work for them Mark, I, I, I think that um, one of the things organizations could do is is recognize what has actually gone well through um, certainly through the first initial phase of, uh, of covid and take those lessons forward, such as uh, I've certainly found that um, the decision-making hierarchy has been flattened through COVID. So people have been empowered to make more decisions without going through um, committee cycles and, 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 and such like. Um, and, and perhaps just recognising that um, there, are, there are better ways of doing things that we've just learned through our experience of COVID. And empowering people to make decisions they'll get most of those decisions right sometimes they'll get them wrong but that's how we how we progress and develop our our individuals and our culture yeah I think it's a really good point I'm not sure how many organizations have sat down and done that that kind of reflection if you like especially as we don't really feel like we're out of it because because we're not you know we aren't out of it it still feels like it's dragging on so so you said they're perhaps not not doing that reflection and building on it and and, and creating something else for us to take that learning and really really apply it um talking about some of the positives um one of the the other major positives that i certainly heard from the organizations i was talking to in that early phase was the fact that that risk uh, perception had increased um, in, in the early part of the crisis. So what I mean by that is people suddenly thought about risk differently because COVID had presented this clear and present danger. And some organisations, not all organisations, but certainly some of them were saying accidents have gone down, people more engaged in, in health, safety and, and well-being. And there was a very early recognition that we need to keep that high because that's one of the success factors of moving the culture forward. Um, be interesting now to get your view as to how well organisations have done with that. Um, are there still lessons to grab or, or was that just a, a function of its time and we're going to struggle to recapture that? Um, Steve, I'm going to go to you for this one. Any, any, any views on that one? I worry that it might sort of go off the boil, um, that once we're through it, um, people may be under the impression that, it, that, that, well, not under the impression, but people may return to business as usual or think they're going to return to business as usual. And, and frankly, they won't. Because um, we as an organisation have found out that, you know, there's going to be a lot more working from home um, and, and so on for, for office workers and so on. Um, but so I think there's that element that, that it, the actual nature of work won't be the same. But I think that the gains from COVID, I would be concerned that 12 months down the line, safety suddenly loses its profile. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's not that people are disinterested, but they don't have the heightened interest that they had during the pandemic. No. One of the things that I'm hearing, Steve, 
is that um, clients are now being asked in tenders. So if they're putting out for work externally, they're beginning to ask, we know what's their health and safety policies? What are they doing in terms of health, safety and well-being? Yeah. So commercially, there's a driver there that's not actually been as implicit in the past. So, yeah, I think, sorry, yeah. No, yeah. Okay. I think I think the blue chips have always been like that. Uh, your Exxons and uh, your British Gas and so on and so forth, and you, you, you know, your well, high hazard companies have always been a bit keen on looking into, you know, contractor uh, uh, safety performance. Um, I think it is moving into, um, you know, more organisations and also the well-being bit that you mentioned. You know, uh, I can imagine that a lot of organisations would look at injury performance, but perhaps not look at the well-being arrangements that uh, contractors make their uh, their employees so i think that's going to be higher on the agenda definitely well we're, we're you know there's the whole of the industry is shifting so there's more and more contracting companies more and more constructing construction infrastructure development so much is being outsourced to contracting companies so that driver around health safety and well-being is becoming more and more prevalent because people are recognizing particularly with covid it's accelerated that um that that needs that that request for so what so I mean we we experience it don't we with our clients they ask us so how are we going to manage this um, mm. you know, if we're running workshops um, how are we going to do this if we're doing this face to face how would that work so if we're being asked to do it if you're doing some um, really hazardous um, activities um, as a company you'd be expected to to also be asked that yeah. What's, what's your view on the on the risk um, uh, appreciation piece, Kanthi? Because I know we work with a couple of organisations where anecdotally we've heard there's been more incidents. I've heard that from a from a number of different organisations. Do you, do you think this is a loss of the of, of the gains that we perhaps made in the early days, or something else is going on there? Um, it's it's this um, disassociation of the workforce. Is, well, it's my belief, Mark, that it's a disassociation of the workforce. So people are getting on doing their roles in the best way that they possibly can, but they're getting uh, less um, diligent about following procedure. Uh, because I'm also hearing with several of our clients that we've got um, sort of higher incidents of near misses, um, higher incidents higher incident levels um which has come about in the last two months maybe two three months yeah yeah certainly and i'm going to throw another potential reason at you and get your thought on this i was talking to somebody the other day about their and they were, they were talking about about two it was two separate parts of the conversation and, and perhaps i put two and two together and got five here but they were they were talking about the fact that people felt more empowered actually as a result of what happened because leaders are less uh are less out and about there's less of them out and about because obviously they've, they've come back to their home offices so there was a net positive there that the workforce felt more empowered yet they were seeing an increase in what you would term smaller incidents so people kind of diverting from the procedure and getting on with things and we, we didn't come to a definitive conclusion about that but there was there was a, a perception that maybe great that people feel more empowered but it does mean they're starting to make decisions that they wouldn't necessarily have made outside of procedure because they didn't have quite as much access to management support do, do, do you see it the same way um that that empowerment has perhaps had a, an interesting by byproduct or, or or interesting tangential effect if you like there well it's a bit of a circular it's, it's, we've gone around in the circle really because it, it's down to the leadership and 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 the sort of messages that the senior teams are driving. So even if they're not visible, you know that shared uh, vision, the, the thing that they're trying to get everybody to buy into, is 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 not happening anymore. So it, it actually is. It's, it's down again to how how leaders are, are running their businesses and being aware of that. You know, being aware of the impact of their messaging and and what they're saying to people and 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 their behaviours. You know how how they're actually showing up, whether it's like this visually online or whether it's face to face or getting their senior senior teams to see people more often. Yeah. In any way, I would agree with contacting yeah. people. Sorry, Kathy. 
I would agree with with, with Kanthi. It, it, you know, empowerment doesn't mean just go off and do your own thing, does it? So it's about how leadership have communicated what empowerment means, and it's a two way two way process that requires trust on on both parts. Um, so it does come back to how senior leaders communicate what they mean. Um, is how I would see it. Yeah. Give that framework. Yeah. So when people understand the how they're empowered rather than just empowered to get on and make their own decisions about everything, but but what what are the boundaries that we create to allow that empowerment? Yeah. yeah the boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I want to I want to come back to well being for a minute because it's a it's an interesting one. It's obviously something that that we've found fascinating and and, and important for many years and. And pre-COVID, one of the structural barriers, if you like, to organisations talking about well-being was where it sits functionally in an organisation. So, so typically, we've done a lot of work with health and safety professionals over the years. All of them are interested in in well-being. Many of them found well-being wasn't structurally within their remit. You know, it was held somewhere else in the organisation, whether that's HR. <laughs> yeah, seen as HR, yeah. absolutely, Steve, yeah. or, or yeah. even within occupational health for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. So there's always been a bit of a, a bit of a boundary there created by organisational structure, which which has meant that even when we're doing what's traditionally called a health and safety culture programme and wellbeing kept coming up as an issue, it's been hard to integrate it. One of the things that's become really important, as we've all discussed, is wellbeing the well-being agenda has come up quickly for obvious reasons. Many people are mixing well-being within health and safety when they're thinking about culture now. And I think there's a stronger recognition that it needs to integrate. Beyond COVID, how do we think organisations can integrate that properly? Because it's not like that those structural boundaries have disappeared overnight. I mean, some organisations, I guess, will, will have reflected on it and thought about it, but many organisations want this focus has disappeared and everybody's thinking about well-being how, how do we remove those structural boundaries and 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 make it work in a, in a way that organizations can genuinely bring well-being alongside health and safety uh, moving forward mark if i could uh, give my thoughts on that yeah um, I, I i think it's um possibly a mistake of, of organizations to think of well-being as a bolt-on to something else yeah but from my point of view, well-being is an overarching topic uh, over and above health, safety and welfare. It brings everything together. Um, so it shouldn't be a bolt-on. It is actually a, a, a key element of delivering good health, safety and welfare. I think you, you get back to core values again, don't you? You know, we as an organisation are always striving with our clients to establish conventional health and safety as a core value and obviously well-being should follow the same pattern and i mean in terms of you could almost have a a, a well-being maturity in your level one well-being nowhere level two and so on and so forth and working through up towards level five just in the same way as conventional safety but as you say colin as part of that wider remit this is how we treat people in this organization this is how we care for people in this organization we make sure they don't get injured and we also look after them yeah I, I, go on colin you go I just because i think it's um uh, i kind of see where you're coming from steve um and in terms of the work we do it, it, it it's not a it's not a it's not an extra so if you look at our safety culture matrix that, that we use with a lot of clients um, it's another band within that overall um, assessment of the safety culture of an organisation. Mm. I, I, I make the mistake of, in, in workshops of sort of um, abbreviating health, safety, welfare, well-being to just use the word safety. And so often people will say, what about our well-being? So I think the troops, mm. the front line, recognise the link between health, safety, welfare and well-being which i see as an overarching pulling together um topic um yeah. so i don't think it and and yeah steve right right back at the beginning of this piece piece of the conversation it seems to always sit with hr um which yeah. you know, whether that's the right place or the wrong place i don't know but it means we've got to pull at least two parts of the organization together to make it work 
Yeah, and I've spoken to a number of health and safety professionals now who've who've argued that you take taking the health and safety culture maturity ladder, whatever version you use, to get to that kind of level five, world class, proactive, whatever you want to call it, level. You you can't really achieve that without well being being a part of that because so many traditional health and safety issues come back to the, the way you're treating that person the way the p- person feels you know you know all of those factors that that, that we talk about um Kathy, what what's your view on this because i know you've you've sat within senior management teams worked with a lot of senior management teams so, so perhaps have a, a view on structure and strategy and s- some of the barriers that are there in organizations and how they can overcome them um, as regards well well, probably, Mark, it's the um, it's the whole business around, you know, whose remit is this? Where does it sit? So um, to actually make anything work, it's really important to get um, the owners of, of health, safety and well-being into the same room to agree what they're going to be driving in the organisation and then provide the frameworks, whether it's leadership competencies or or safety management system, whatever the process is that the organization needs and the framework it needs, but it's essential to get those senior senior leaders talking to each other. Because um, as, uh, as Colin so rightly said, these are overarching, the, you know, these are fundamental to the business. All of these aspects are fundamental to every business. And it's incorporating that into the way that the business operates is essential. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. And and um and and I think that will, will really help organizations moving forward. Um to share a slightly controversial view here, um and build on some of the stuff we're saying, in in the early days and by early days I think I probably mean more specifically let's say a couple of months into the to the first wave of Covid as we were looking at the research and talking to people I think I saw an interesting conflict in in um, in people's minds when we were discussing the themes and and the, the issues and trends that organizations needed to work on and that was on the one hand well-being it was great that it came more to the fore and now it's seen as important to the organization and it's it's part of the the health and safety agenda more directly but a concern that traditional health and safety if you want to call it that was being forgotten and not prioritized as much by organizations and actually we know having done this for many years that when something goes wrong it's a it's a problem you know morally financially reputationally for organizations is there a danger in this new focus on well-being that traditional health and safety gets forgotten can we can we truly have both being integrated in organizations is that is that possible for organizations to get right and not lose that those years of experience and great focus on some of these big health safety process safety issues whatever you want to call them and this newer um focus on 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 well-being what are your thoughts on that i think mark um you can't have one without the other to 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 one extent um if you and i think you i think you're right there is a danger of of traditional health and safety as we might refer to it being lost i'm certainly actually picking that up um in, in some of the work i've been involved with in in recent times that um, the focus on COVID has dominated quite rightly, which means that uh, traditional health and safety issues have slipped down a little bit, been forgotten a little bit, and all the discussion is around well-being. It's about getting the balance right, isn't it? And in terms of an organisational view, it's about a will. It's possible if the will is there. Um, And as you rightly referred to, think about the reputational damage that can occur to an organization through well-being issues you know we're used to you know the big press stories around uh, fatalities etc uh, on building sites or wherever it might be uh, but also the costs of i think the costs related to stress which is a well-being issue far outweigh the traditional um, costs don't they so i think it would be folly for organizations to say we can't deal with well-being it's about getting the balance right 
Uh, and that's an internal decision for an organization, isn't it? Yeah. Steve, your view on that one? Well, I think it's obviously a danger um, that you lose that focus. I can't say I've detected it, um, you know, in the organizations that I work with, but uh, obviously I could see how in the future, you know, in, in the face of something big like this, um, people lose focus when uh, when 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 that particular issue goes off the boil. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it's it, not something I've seen with the organisations that I particularly work with. No, no I, would, I wouldn't say an organisation the organisations we're working with have lost focus on traditional health and safety. But what I'm I'm acutely aware of, and and I, and I fall into this trap myself to a certain extent, is is senior managers. Are, are feeling the pressure they're feeling the burnout so so the well-being space becomes very personal to the people making the decisions and they are naturally by their position less more removed from some of the sharp end health and safety stuff so i was a it it, it was an interesting one for me to consider it's, it's fantastic that well-being is up on the agenda it absolutely should be it should be a focus for organizations but to to get that balance right as, as you outlined colin um and not to let the the personal pressure that senior managers are obviously feeling um make them struggle with that with that balance if if, if that makes sense um again i'd welcome your view on that Kathy, because i know you do coaching for, for for many senior leaders are you are you, are you seeing that or, or am i making a, a leap here i'm certainly not seeing health and safety tradition as you described the traditional health and safety being marginalized um, I just um, think it, everything is currently um, in the melting pot. Okay. Um, so it's, um, it's overlaying current activities um, because of the pandemic with other things. Brilliant. Okay. All right. Um, are there any lessons from the uh, focus on health and safety culture change that we can take pre-COVID to help us in this post-COVID world? either with traditional health and safety or with regards to this integration of well-being and health and safety? I think it would be wrong of me to, to today to not mention the role of women in businesses because it's something we haven't discussed at all. Um, but it's something that's becoming a huge issue. Um, I know in the first wave, um, several of my clients um, were expressing concerns about their female staff who, when working from home, were finding that um, that a majority of the homeschooling and the, and the catering mm -hmm. and the household domestic management was falling on the shoulders of the women in the household, particularly so in um, you know South America, Asia, you know some of the other regions. Um, but also I mean, in the Western world as well. So, so, uh, so that's an issue because um, in the recent surveys have also shown that um, uh, the, the role of women in terms of leadership roles um, has sort of um, stayed, has stagnated and will stagnate over the next, because everybody's readdressing where they sit in business at the moment. And um, it's something that should be uh, thought about um, there's an awful lot of women out there running health and safety functions and involved in all sorts of parts of the business that um, that are not being completely factored in at the moment yeah so it's something for organizations to be to be really thinking about i mean I, i've seen um i've seen some of that dialogue within uh, within media generally about the impact on on women having been more significant over this period but but perhaps not enough conversation about what that means for organizations and 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 how they deal with that and 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 build on on that learning moving forward i guess well it's certainly going to be on the horizon in terms of well-being as we move forward okay all right. Well, let me ask a, a final question then. So, so for the three of you, what do you think the the themes should be for for organisations moving into twenty twenty one? So, I, I guess we're we're making some assumptions that by the spring and the summer things will be a little bit easier. Hopefully, from a from a COVID perspective. How do, how do organisations plan for the future? What should they be thinking about? Um, should I go? Yeah, go for it, Steve. Yeah. yeah. Working from home, arrangements for working from home, well-being while working from home, 
you know, I hate to use the phrase, it's going to be the new normal, but it is, there's going to have to be much more accommodation for that sort of thing, a lot more thought about it in the future. Um, maybe not for a lot of the organisations, well, for all organisations, but to a greater extent, I think, in more organisations that have been more traditionally office-based, finance jumps up immediately. Um, uh, I think, uh, is it Barclays or Lloyd's? Uh, allocating 700 of their staff as home workers already. Yeah. I think we're going to see it all over. And it's how you accommodate that, particularly from the well-being and stress point of view. People yeah. are used to having human contact every day, kicking back the chair and talking to their mate, you know, for five minutes. It, it's not going to be there unless we find ways of, of, of accommodating that. Yeah. Sure. Oh, and also avoiding back-to-back -back Zoom meetings all day. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Fine. Well-being, working from home. That 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 they have an obvious cultural impact, don't they? Yeah. Um, Colin, what's what's your view? Uh, I would actually uh, wholeheartedly agree with with Steve on the home working um, topic. Certainly, picking up that a lot more work needs to be done by organisations on supporting individuals. Yeah. In exactly the way that um, Steve has described, so I won't go into any more detail around that. Um, something else I think um, we've already mentioned it, but but not to lose the lessons learned through this last um, eight or ten months, because there has been lots of um, positive stuff despite the pandemic that organisations have have managed to uh, implement and learn. Um, as, as the months move forward. And um, linked link to the home working thing, um, something I call sort of email hygiene so that people don't feel the need to be answering emails at 10 o'clock at night just because the boss is, you know, you are, you are at home, you're not at work. Um, so a lot more um, understanding of what it means to be sat at home working. And flexibility. I think we, you know, Kanthi's already mentioned the, the the homeschooling, the schooling, the the providing of meals. All of that eats into what would normally have been the working day. So there needs to be a much broader understanding of what home working actually means. Yeah, it's it's a real nuance, isn't it? And and just just to build on, I, I guess, both of your points around home working, that this is going to be a really hard thing for organisations to to think about. At the moment, many organisations I've spoken to recognise that that's the trend. Nobody's really sure what the long term trend is. For some people, it's been a good thing. For for some people. Um, it's been a frustration and they want to go back to working in the office. And so we need to recognise that from an engagement perspective. For some people, it's been fine, but we haven't quite sat back and thought about what's been the real impact on the, on work long term and certainly health, safety and risk. So somebody I was speaking to the other day said, we, we seem to be fine with the fact that we're not doing very many site visits at the moment. How can that be true when we invented a process because it wasn't fine before we did site visits? And does that mean we've simply got away with it for a period of time and things will roll back if we don't start doing it again? So we don't want to be in a default position of, of, of not doing this in the future because that's been fine for the last eight or nine months. So getting that balance right between it's great that we're at home, we can still do the job, but let's not forget about some of the lessons from even further back in the past about the importance of, of, of some of that face-to-face -face contact. And then all the nuance around that, how do you keep that same great empowerment up around people working from home and, and having a different work-life balance and keep that moving uh, in the new world and, and I had a conversation with somebody about the fact that could you could you let people design their own perfect work-life balance now now we've gone from one extreme to the other and accepted that it could work could you empower people to do that and that's quite a leap for most organizations to let people almost design their own their own working patterns and, and, and jobs moving forward but but clearly a one-size-fits-all approach whether you're at home or at work is is, is is perhaps not an organization's future so it's something to think about there and maybe some uncertainty around that at the moment is contributing to the burnout because we don't know 
what the new world is looking like. So it's very hard to prepare for at this moment in time. Um, so there's a very nuanced picture there that, that I think is important to think about. So, so good one. Thanks, Colin. Um, Kathy, what's your view on the, on the theme? Yeah, it's interesting because Agile, I mean, a lot of companies found out they could be Agile, you know, the, the organisations that went on the internet in terms of retail sector. Um, have been ahead of the game. Companies discovered they could be agile. But, you know, it's not about just about homeworking going forward. It's about loan working. You know, most of the big companies have now got outsourced workers who are working on their own. So homeworking is just another way of describing loan working for most people. So really, going into the future, companies need to think more about collaboration, how they're going to get to co people to collaborate more. They're going to have to think about how they're going to co-locate people to do the collaboration. But above all, you know, I keep going back to it, but it's about engagement. It's how leadership, you know, how leadership teams and organisations engage and involve their work force um, and being aware of loan working in whatever shape it takes whether it's in a van on your own in a house or uh, some other random location in the middle of nowhere it's it's exactly the same thing um, the same things apply we're all people at the end of the day yeah there's a, there's a very new context for people to face now and and how do you engage people within that new context is 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 going to be really really critical moving forward whether organizations can give themselves the space and the time to sit back and reflect on that new environment that new context whatever you want to call it and almost reshape your approach to engagement because what worked pre-covid didn't work during covid and people reacted accordingly and it's not going to be what's right for for, for the business moving mm -hmm. forward and that that engagement has an impact on culture the, the overall culture of the business but very clearly the culture of health safety and well-being which is which is what we're here talking about so having that time and space to reflect is, is it needs to be a really important part of of um of an organization's planning process moving forward into 2021 great stuff it's been a really interesting um discussion anything else that anybody is is burning to add before we finish just one thing mark sort of linked to to the example you gave just a moment ago about um you know really pleased that we're not doing the same number of site visits that we used to do. Uh, just made me think of something I tell every group of leaders that, that I meet. You can't develop the safety culture from behind a desk. So you've mm. got to get out there and engage with people. Well, some fascinating insights from the tribe team there. Clearly the COVID crisis has shone a light on well-being and mental health. So that will be the topic of the next in our series of podcasts, ready for you to download early in the new year. You can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and sign up to our Tribe Vibe to find out about the next in the series of podcasts. Ear to the ground. Music.